in Cyclone B at Auschwitz. Wow, dog hater, right off Jump Street, man. Joe, seriously. I mean, I don't know about you. I was going to preach this morning on stray dogs. But obviously nobody cares about stray dogs or hungry dogs, even though the Bible does liken men to dogs. And so I do like little Dan, little Ann, old yeller. I have an affinity for dogs because I happen to be one, but certain people don't care at all about dogs or feeding dogs. And so before long, you're going to see the dog catcher show up. They're taking him to a safe place. I'm just joking around. Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. That was all supposed to be funny. This is last year's. All right, so last night we got started talking about treasure, the pursuit of treasure, and the importance of knowing where you're going when you set out. Most people talk about having a treasure map. Yes, sir? The dog is gone. I didn't hear a shot, so there's still hope. But then there's other kinds of shots, I'm just saying. <laughs> He's fine, really. He was happy, he was real happy. I know for an absolute fact, he got three pieces of chicken and three hamburger buns this morning. I don't know where the hamburger buns came from, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from under the rich man's table. So he left with very happy. He's now in an air-conditioned car, having the time of his life, and he's getting a free ride to wherever he's headed. So, so let's talk about this, if we can. We know the importance that if you're going to, quote, looking for treasure, you want to find treasure. For us, you look inward. But for us, we use as the map, the Word of God. The Bible's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We don't just ind uh, indiscriminately start walking around and trying to find treasure. There has to be a purpose, a point. You have to look at where it is that you're going. Some of you will remember, because you've been to youth camp a number of times, I told you that my days, young days, when I was around 9 or 10 years of age, that at my papa's uh, place in Alabama, he had what they call a small farm in the back. Now, for them in Alabama, a small farm is like an acre that you plow by hand. And he had a mule, and his mule died. And so I showed up one summer, and he looked at me when I got out of the car, and he said, I think you'll fit. Took me out to the tool shed and fitted me into a harness to pull the plow. And so I got out there, and I learned about how to pull the plow. So I knew just a smidgen as far as farming and stuff was concerned. Here's the point. We didn't just go out in the field and just start tearing up the field. When we started walking, he made me look down the end of the field down there, about 100 or so yards away, and there was a broken off fence post down there with a piece of barbed wire hanging off of it. And he said, I want you to just keep your eye on that fence post. Don't take your eyes off the fence post. I'll worry about where you're stepping, but you worry about where you're looking. And so when I started out, when we got to the end of that row down there, and all I'm doing is pulling, and he doesn't have the plow set real deep. I don't want you to think child labor laws or something. He wasn't abusing me. Um, but it, we're tearing the ground up there, and he's behind it, and he's holding it like this. And he didn't have reins on me, but he had, did have me inside the harness, and I'm leaning up against it like this. And all I'm doing is looking. We get to the end of that, and we get ready to turn around, and he said, Now look. And when I turned around and looked, you know what's amazing? 
I never looked back to see how straight the line was, but because I kept my eyes on where I was going, I plowed a straight line. Now, you may think that's really kind of stupid, but one of the reasons that we have a crooked path when it comes to trying to follow Jesus is we get our eyes off of Jesus. And then guess what happens? We get into everything that's all over on the sides of the road. That's what's important about having a map to go by. One of the things that we missed out on that I touched on briefly and Brother Joe touched on briefly last night is, is that whenever you do anything in the Christian life, it has to be done with a purpose. What's the point of doing it if there's no purpose? I don't believe in indiscriminate reading of the Bible. I believe that you ought to be looking for something in the Bible. When was the last time you asked the Lord to show you something in the Bible? Maybe it's an answer to a question or maybe it's something new. But when you're struggling with something, you should get a concordance and you should get your Bible and you should start looking up verses that deal specifically with the thing that you're struggling with. That way your reading has a point or a purpose and it will mean more to you. There's nothing worse than reading and you're reading especially in Chronicles and I'm not saying don't read Chronicles but I got to be honest with you if I'm laid up in the hospital reading Chronicles is not really feeding my soul very much. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And then you have to have, I, got, I have one of those special Bibles that has the accent so you can know how to pronounce the names. But husbuzz and all this other, it's like, boy, those people must have been on crack or something when they're naming their kids. Really. So, I, you got to laugh a little bit, man. So here's what I want you to understand. There has to be a purpose or a point to what it is that you're doing. So here's what happens. It actually starts with us. The Lord's made a way through the blood of Jesus Christ and Him being the mediator and He's our Savior and I understand all that. But when it comes to us having a relationship with Him, if we're going to find the treasure that He wants us to find, we have to make room for the treasure. Well, this is where it gets uncomfortable because it requires us to do some things for ourselves. So take your Bible, if you will. First of all, look in Matthew chapter number 6, if you're not there already. Look in Matthew chapter number 6. And the Bible tells you this in verse number 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break in at through, at breakthrough, excuse me, and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and nor rust, uh, nor rust corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. And where your treasure is, watch it. Look at that. Where your treasure is, what follows it? Your heart. That's how you think. Look what happens to show up in verse number 22. The light of the body is what? All right, so guess what he says. Where you look does matter. So he says, if you're always spending all your time thinking about, looking about all the things as far as your career is concerned, I'm not saying you shouldn't make plans. Listen, don't, don't be ignorant and don't let some of these people that are, I call them uh, Bible-believing bubbas, because all they want you to do is, is just be uh, barefoot and pregnant your whole life, and that's the real, you know, sustenance in life. Well, suppose you're ugly and you never get married. I'm just saying, I don't know if that applies to anybody in here or not. I'm just throwing it out there for conversation. But what about all the people that don't wind up? And you guys, I hope to the Lord you're not going to get pregnant. 
So now suppose you don't get married and then wind up having a baby, then what about you? Well, make some plans in your life. Have some idea of what it is you want to do. The Lord puts certain things inside you, and maybe you're good at those things. It's not for everybody to be a preacher, a teacher, or a missionary. Not everybody is called to do that. Listen, I have people in my church. I've got a guy back home right now. He's a contractor. I'm really glad he is a contractor. He's building the building. He's taking care of all the stuff. I get to do what I'm supposed to do while he does what he's supposed to do. But guess what? He went to almost eight years of college to be able to do that stuff. But he made plans in order to do that. He's a great preacher and he's even been to Bible school, but right now the Lord's using his skills as a contractor to be able to do those things and to do it by code. Do you understand? That doesn't mean he's not spiritual. He's in church all the time. He reads his Bible. He prays. He has kids. He has a family. He does all the other kind of things. Just remember this, it doesn't always have to be just, well, I just grew up and all I ever wanted to be was a Sunday school teacher. Okay, good, that occupies Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning for you. Now what? What about the rest of your life? So make some plans. There's nothing wrong with having kids and enjoying raising a family. I mean, what, that's, a, that's a blessing. You should enjoy doing that. The Lord blesses you with kids. But if you don't have kids, it doesn't mean you're not spiritual. It just means you're not married. And if you do have kids and you're not married, then, well, we'll have a whole other course for you at a later time. But here's the point that I need for you to understand. Make some plans. There needs to be some purpose in your life, and there needs to be purpose in your life when it comes to where you put your treasure. Your treasure should be in heaven. That's what we're talking about. Why? Because if we keep our eyes looking up, it'll give us a better understanding of what's going on down here. Down here, the way the world is on a regular basis, and I like being here, you don't listen to the news, you don't get to watch the news, you don't get to hear the news and all that other kind of stuff. You almost feel like, you know, everything else may be falling apart right now, but right now we're doing pretty good because we don't know about it. Ignorance sometimes is bliss. Really, it's good to be, I mean, it's like I don't need to know about all that stuff. You say, why? It changes every day. It's a marketing scheme. All right, so we know already the Bible tells you that where I have my treasure is going to affect how I think and it's going to affect where I look. This is important because if we're going to look inward, we have to be willing to do something that's very difficult. Look, if you will, please, in Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. There has to be some preparation. So if you were getting ready to go, as Brother Joe put it, on a treasure hunt, you were going to go looking for something... I don't know if you were Indiana Jones or whoever does treasure nowadays or whatever. I, I guess you'd make some preparation. I, I guess you'd have to, if the treasure was in a foreign country, you'd have to get plane tickets and make hotel reservations or you'd have to at least pack up a tent and a sleeping bag and some things to take care of, of the necessities in life like, you know, cooking and eating and, and those kinds of things. But when it comes to the spiritual life, the first thing that you have to be willing to do is to present yourself. Now there's a note on the board here that says your real self, not the self you want everybody else to see you as. We all have a reputation. A reputation is what people believe you to be. The real self is who God knows you to be. Everybody can have a reputation, but sometimes, guess what? The reputation is deceiving. It's just what we want people to see. You kids probably do it more, and I can't blame you anymore because adults do it just as bad, and you learned it from adults. Because of the advent of social media, you now have two yous on a regular basis. You have the real you, and then you have the social media you. You have what you want. You don't ever put anything bad about yourself on social media. You Photoshop your pictures when you put them up there. 
You always show the good profile. You show the good side. You always show yourself having fun. You always show yourself doing all the positive things. You always post all the positive stuff about you. That's not the real you. That's the you you want everybody to see, the one you want them to click on and give them you the whatever the thing is, the thumbs up. I guess they still do that or, or whatever. And you know what I do know? I do know that some people are so connected to that that they send a picture of themselves in the morning when they get dressed. And if they get thumbs down, you know what they do? They go back in their room and change their clothes. You say, I'd never be that crazy. You haven't studied it very much. People are addicted to that stuff. You say, what are you worried about? You're so worried about what the world's image is of you that you quit worrying about, number one, your own self-image, but number two, you get worrying about what the Lord thinks about your image. You have to be careful about the world, and here's why. The world is dog-eat-dog. They'll drop you in a heartbeat. As soon as they're finished with you, they'll change you. You know what happens? They're constantly changing based on emotions, right? So if all you are is your profile, you're a pretty shallow person because your profile is just two-dimensional. It's not the real you. It's what you really, you don't, listen, if that's how you're going to wind up meeting some girl and marrying her, she better hope she doesn't marry your profile because she's going to wake up the day after her honeymoon when your dirty clothes are on the floor and when you're expecting her to come, you know, make your sandwiches and cut the crust off it like mama did and take care of you and make up the bed for you and do all that other kind of stuff. And, and then all of a sudden it's kind of like, well, this is what you said you are in your profile. It's like, yeah, well, that's not who I am. The real me is a lazy lug that doesn't want to do anything, and I'm going hunting. And she's like, but the roof's leaking. Oh, well, call a plumber. The, the roof's leaking. Well, you said it's got water. I figured it was a plumber. You know, well, no, honey, roof leaking carpenter. We got to fix the roof, and if we don't get together, well, I got to go. I got, you know, I, I, I got to, I'm out of here. But on your profile, you said you're everything. Right? I'm not trying to get too close to the cotton right off the bat, but I'm talking about the real you. You remember in Mark chapter number 5 when the Lord lands over there, he says an interesting thing. Now, he is the God and the creator of the universe. By him all things are made. We know that. So he would know. He's omniscient. Big word for he knows everything. So we know that when he's there, he looks into Legion's eyes and he asks Legion what his name is. Well, if he's the God of the universe, doesn't he know? So the question then comes up, why is he asking him the question? The question is not there because he doesn't know. The question is, he's asking Legion for this reason. He's saying to Legion, do you see yourself the way I see you? If you want to have the right kind of treasure, the gold, silver, the precious stones that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, if you want to have treasure up in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and thieves don't break in and steal it, then you're going to have to recognize, I've got to be honest with the Lord. You heard a message on that last night about just learning to be honest. Listen, the time to be honest is to be honest with the Lord. Nothing you're going to say to Him is going to shock Him. But sometimes when you try to show him your reputation like you're giving him your Facebook profile, the Lord's just looking at you like, are you kidding me right now? I can't do anything with a Jacob. A long period of time it took him before Jacob's wrestling over there with him in the cornfield and he asked Jacob the same question he asked Legion, what's your name? Well, it's not because he didn't know him. It's because he's like, Jacob, you know what? We need to have a come to Jesus meeting. So part of youth camp is, is for us to recognize that there is the profile us and then there's the real us. And if you're going to do any business with the Lord, if he's truth, and I believe that he is, and all by him all things are spoken are truth, and I believe that he does speak truth, well, if that's the case, i got to be truthful with him or I'm on the opposite side or the wrong side of the coin. Does that make sense to you so far? 
But it's hard, isn't it? Look at what he says in verse 12, verse, chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, I beg you, I plead with you, I'm, I'm asking you with a great emphasis. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself. Nobody can present it for you. You present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then he goes on to say in verse number two, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Isn't that interesting? That shows up that the presentation of myself affects how I think. Would you think it ties into the, where your treasure is or your heart is also? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know that which is a good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Is that what it says there? I might have missed a, a word or two there, but the, the, the King James is correct. But if I missed the word, it's not because I, it's just because my memory's bad. But notice what he says there. You have a responsibility to present yourself. So if the Lord were to come to you today and say, hey, listen, I want to help you find this treasure. I really want you to have treasure. That's why I tell you about it. So you can earn that treasure up there. And if he were to come to you and he'd say, step number one is, who are you? What would you have to say? Don't say it out loud. Would you have to say liar? Would you have to say cheater? Would you have to say prideful like Absalom? Would you have to say arrogant or bitter or obnoxious or selfish, self-centered, self-pity? I, I don't know. I, I mean, we could make a list all day long, but if you're going to make any hay with the Lord, in other words, if you're going to make any way to get with the Lord, you know what you have to learn to do? It's not about being honest with each other until you're honest with Him first. I'm not for you telling everybody everything about yourself. I'm not one of those people. I believe you ought to tell him everything about yourself. He's a great secret keeper. It would help some of you unload a lot of your burdens if you would take those burdens to him and say, Lord, I don't know what it is about me, but I have a real problem with my pride and with envy and with jealousy. And Lord, I'm really bitter because my mama did this and my daddy did that and my mama got divorced from my daddy or my daddy cheated on my mama or my mama cheated on my daddy or my mama's a crackhead or my daddy's a heroin addict or he's a drunk or he used to beat me or he used to whatever and all that stuff and then left you with the residual of it. I'm not, I, I know I'm in a Bible-believing crowd, but it goes on in our crowd. It goes on everywhere else. It's not just going on out there in the world. It goes on in our crowd too. I mean, we've been trying to homeschool our kids and we've been trying to do what's right for our kids and raise them in a clean environment, but we're not having any more success than the public school system is. I mean, we have our few little trophies that are there, but our kids are having the same troubles. Our adults are having the same troubles. Our marriages are still winding up in divorce and you got the truth. There's a difference though in having the truth and doing the truth, obeying the truth. And if you don't obey the truth, you know what? It doesn't make any difference how much of it you have. It's like having a briefcase full of money you never spend. So step number one is I have to be willing to present myself. Now, I'm using uh, A-T-I-O-N on the end of this just to try to make it a little easier to remember. But for those of you that can see this right here, this requires a, an observation, not of others, of yourself. You're not going to hear me talk about what other people are doing here. This is all personal. You ought to like that. We all like to have our personal attention every now and then, right? Well, this is all about you. So we're going to make it about you. It requires observation. Then you have to sit there and sort it like an evaluation. <laughs> you say, do I want to keep it or not? You ever been praying sometimes and uh, have something filthy come up in your mind? 
maybe anger, maybe not always something pornographic, maybe it's something that comes up that your hate or, or your anger or animosity towards somebody and you're praying and talking to the Lord and that stuff comes into your mind like that. Did you ever think that you're going through a purging process and you're putting in the right stuff and that stuff comes to the top and the Lord says, what do you want to do about that? And you say, well, can I think on it a little while? Lord, I, can I hold on to it for a while? I kind of, I'm not ready to turn loose of that. And you know what happens? It sinks back to the bottom again. What makes you think that it didn't come out there just because the Lord's saying, hey, what do you want to do with that? You take some evaluation. Well, what are you going to do with it? If you get ready to pray and you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. What if he brings up some things that you don't want to look at? What if he says, what's your name? Jacob. Well, what does that mean? I'm a liar. Good, you're getting there. I'm a cheater. I'm a thief. I stole my brother's birthright. I'm a deceiver. I'm a conniver. I'm a manipulator. Boy, I deserve everything you're getting. The Lord said, okay, now we're, now we're getting somewhere. Now, suppose he does that during the process. See, if you don't get past that, we're not even to the foundation yet. We're just looking at a piece of land and trying to evaluate, make some estimations on whether or not we could ever even build anything on it that's worth anything. We're looking at the ground and that's your heart. We're seeing whether or not the ground can, is worth uh, digging out and, and tearing the stuff out of there and getting things ready to go to be able to pour in the concrete and start building a building. We're not in a hurry to get the building built. You say, why? Everything's based on the ground first. If the ground's not clean and cleared before you begin working, sooner or later, no matter how much concrete you pour over it, you know what's going to happen? The foundation's going to crack and the whole thing will come tumbling down. So what you have to do is spend some time thinking about yourself. Well, this is what everybody's trying to get you off of. I'm trying to get you on it this week. I want you to think about you. How about that for a change? I don't want you to think about others. You say, why? Because if you're looking through the eyes of a selfish you, you'll always see others in the wrong light. If you're looking through the eyes of meanness, if you're looking through the eyes of I've been deprived, I've been cheated, I'm, I'm bitter, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, I've always been taken advantage of and nobody likes me and everybody hates me. You know what's going to happen? You're going to see everybody through those eyes. Your filter's messed up. And that filter's messed up. It doesn't just collect stuff the wrong way. It puts out stuff the wrong way. Some of you have legitimately been through some bad things in life. I'm not taking away from that at all. I'm not making light of that. But you know what? If you don't deal with that, you know what you'll do? You'll start viewing everybody in your life as an abuser and everybody in your life as somebody that's going to hurt you and everybody in your life is going to take advantage of you and somebody in your life is trying to take And you know what you begin to get? You begin real de defensive. And you have a defensive posture. Every time you turn around, somebody says something, you're always ready. You're like, Why did you say that about me? Why are you talking about me? Well, hold on a second. Maybe you're a little overly touchy. Is this making any sense to you at all? You say, what is that? You're presenting yourself. Well, what is the self? If you had to write a journal down in front of somebody today and you had to write down a journal and you knew that they knew everything there was to know about you, what would you put on that piece of paper? I'm talking about before the Lord. I mean, he knows everything, right? I'm not talking about somebody that doesn't know things. I'm saying if you had to sit down, the Lord said, okay, give me an evaluation of yourself right now. That's what I want you to do. Write down what you think you are. Well, I was a high school track star, and I was an AV honor roll student, and I go to church, and I read my Bible, and 
The Lord said, okay, good. Those things are all true. Anything else in there? No, Lord, I, I'm a perfect kid. I'm obedient to my parents all the time. I mean, they only have to look at me and I already know what they're thinking and I just get busy about doing it. I'm a perfect wife. I'm a perfect husband. I'm a perfect Christian. And the Lord said, okay, you're also deceived and full of the devil because that's what the devil thinks. See, it takes a real evaluation. Look, if you will, please, in your Bible, come to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. I mentioned to you last night, not to be harsh or anything with you, but I mentioned to you last night that it's unfortunate that people don't realize that when it comes to this thing about uh, earning uh, gold, silver, and precious stones, it's not as easy as salvation. It requires some effort. It requires you to put in some what the Bible calls work and put in some sweat. And most of us, when it comes to everything else, we don't mind. I saw somebody or heard about somebody that comes to youth camp and brings like 150 pound sacks of sand so that they can like throw sand around before breakfast. Well, okay, if that's your idea of what youth camp is and that kind of a deal, but my, my thoughts are if I'm really wanting to do business with the Lord, I'd like to come to camp and be willing to put in that kind of effort spiritually. I'm not blaming them for doing that. Good, they're exercising. Some of you guys ought to get out there and do that if you can pick up 150 pounds. But, you, but, but here's the point I'm making. We're willing to put that kind of effort in in the morning for our physical health, right? Some of us old people, we go walking in the morning. We used to run, and now we call walking jogging. We don't say we're walking. I'm going jogging in the morning, you know. This is jogging now. In our mind, we're jogging. <clears throat> we're stretching it out, right? But, you know, our body doesn't keep up with our minds. But we, we, call it, we go walking in the morning, and sometimes we watch our diet. Maybe not so much last night with somebody who made cinnamon rolls to kill you, and I had to eat them and almost died. But, man, that would have been a happy death. But, but listen, we do things that we want to do. Did you just let that sink in? Why not the same effort when it comes to spiritual growth? It requires exercise. And guess what? It's painful. And some of it, it's monotonous. Any of you guys ever go to the gym at all? Three of you. That's great. I'm really glad. I can tell why you look like you look. But at any rate, some of you sacks of potatoes, some of you french fries. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have been to the gym before? They give you good, a lot better. You know, yeah, me, I've been to the gym, right? Okay, now, but now listen to me. Don't you do like the same routine, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you do one thing, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you do another? And you do that thing and you do it how long until you change the routine? But you have a routine. You go in there, they give you a card, and after a while you memorize the card. You know what the workout routine is, and you know what day it is. You know how many reps to do, you know how much weight to add, and that becomes a part of what you do in order to increase your physical strength. Is that right? Right? Okay, let me ask you a question. When you add weight, it's done for the purpose of increasing your strength. It's not just for bragging rights, right? So when you go from, you know, when, when you finally get to put the three plates on both sides, you got six plates, you want to hear them ring, so you got the 315, and you're banging them out, you know, for reps, and you're doing six, eight, ten reps, and that kind of a deal, and then you wind up throwing the fourth plate and the fifth, or the two other plates on either side on there, and now you got 405, and you're able to get it a couple times. That's not just for bragging rights. We add the weight to increase the what? 
strength. Same way on the squat rack, same way on anything else. I'm just using weight as an illustration or an example. But it requires the routine doing of the same thing on a regular basis. If you just walk in there and get under 405, you're going to have a bird chest. You have to prepare. Your tendons have to get stronger. Your muscles have to get stronger. Your ligaments have to get stronger. Your joints have to get accustomed to those things. And after a period of time, you're ready to add more weight. We make an effort in order to increase strength. But do we make the same effort to increase our spiritual strength? And if we do, why do we keep falling when there's really no reason for us to fall and to fail? But we're just not strong enough. Spiritually, I'm just going to say maybe the problem is we haven't been working out spiritually. Or maybe you have. Y'all are looking at me like, no, I'm working out every day. We're good. Okay, well, great. Then this isn't for you. Take a nap and we'll wake up for lunch in just a minute. Colossians chapter number 3. Tough crowd this morning. Verse number 22. Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but with singleness of heart and fearing God. Watch it. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that the Lord of the Lord ye shall receive, look at that, the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Jesus, for the Lord Christ. Now what he says there is your inheritance, that has to do with gold, silver, precious stones, it has to do with your right to rule and reign with him, it has to do with your robe that's in Psalm 45 and all that stuff. But what he just said to you is if you do it heartily as unto the Lord, the Lord will reward you, there's your treasure, but it's based upon the efforts you put in. If you don't put in the effort, you still get to go home to heaven. That's eternal security. We all believe that, right? I know that that's bought and paid for. My salvation is His. It's His. It belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to me. Therefore, I know I'm saved. So whether I'd hit a lick at a snake or not, it doesn't make a difference. I know I'm going home to heaven, right? Because you're saved. Could you just like amen me or something? I'm feeling like really intimidated by y'all this morning. You know you're saved. You're going to heaven, right? Thank you. I was getting really scared there. So here's the thing. If that's the case, but then he says, but if you put in an effort... I've got something extra for you. It's an earned treasure. But you have to do what's right. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that the Lord would tell you that he would give you a treasure and then withhold it if you put in the effort? See, it's not a much how you do, it's why you do it. Somebody may not have the same skills or ability that you have, but they make a greater effort than you do. They get a greater reward because guess what? There'll be people like Herbie's that are up there in heaven. And you've heard me tell the story of Herbie, but this is just, if I've ever seen somebody that presented himself, his body, a living sacrifice, it was Herbie. He didn't have much to present. Knock-kneed and pigeon-toed and toes turned in and walking like this. His teeth, I mean, they looked like, I mean, he could eat corn through a barbed wire fence. I mean, there were no teeth touching or anything like that. His, his mouth was just all kind of twisted up and messed up. And his thumbs were turned in and his arms were twisted up. And yet every time that he came, he was at church, every time the doors were open. Every time the doors were open, every time a song was sung, he was singing. You've all heard me tell the story before. Every little bit of money he made, he was always giving. He was always doing. He didn't have much, but man, the effort that it took just for him to get to church. So much effort. His mother was an invalid, laying at home, unable to care for herself. He had a sister that took care of her, a daddy that nobody knew where he was, and I still to this day don't know where he was and don't know if he left, don't know if he died. I don't know. I'm not saying anything bad about it. I don't know what happened to him. 
If Herbie couldn't get a ride, you know what he would do on Sunday morning? He'd get up an hour early because he knew he didn't have a ride and he'd start walking to church just so he could be at church. He said, but it's just a church service. What's the big deal? And he's mentally inept. He probably doesn't even get anything out of the church service. Yeah, and that's why you and me will be behind him at the judgment seat because what he had, the Lord had. See, he just did what he could do. So it's not a matter of how talented you are. It's a matter of, hey, look, let's make a sports illustration here, okay? It's just a matter of how much you hustle. You know, I had a coach tell me one time, he said, you know what I'd rather have? He said, I'd rather have a second or a third team player that hustles than to have a talented first string player that doesn't show up for practice. And I thought, you know what? That's pretty, pretty interesting because you know what? I find talented people don't think they need to practice. Professional athletes, you know what they do? They know they're talented and they start practice after everybody else is finished with practice because they realize under pressure their weakness is going to show up. So I look at a man like Herbie, you know what I think to myself? What will he get when he gets to heaven? Well, he gave everything he had, but he never preached a sermon, at least not verbally. He never sang a song, not from a standpoint of a solo. He never taught a Sunday school class. I don't know the amount of money he gave in a lifetime. It wouldn't have amounted to maybe a few thousand dollars. I mean, a hundred dollars every two weeks or something like that. I mean, he wouldn't have been given a whole lot. But every time the doors were open, he was on the second row. You see, it's not a matter of how talented you are, or how much you accomplish. It's a matter of the effort that you put into it. But you got to investigate yourself. Now, I don't know. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I had to look at myself, and I saw a Herbie in the mirror. You may be different than me. I'm afraid that the reason the Lord didn't put me in a body like that is because I wouldn't have the character to be a Herbie. I don't think I could have took it. To look in there, I mean, it's ugly enough looking back at me now, but I can't imagine if I looked in there and I saw a Herbie with teeth like that, with a face that was malformed, with drool hanging down my, my mouth right here and I put on and wore about the same shirt every four or five days and hardly ever took a bath and those kind of things and everywhere I walked it was difficult and hard to be able to get there. I couldn't shake anybody's hand the right way. All I could do all I was known for doing as a grown man was rolling up newspapers and putting them in an ice cream cart. Are you kidding? I think I'd probably just be bitter if I couldn't find a gun or something and do something crazy. I don't know. I'd probably just say, you think, you think you'd be in church? Maybe you would. Maybe praise the Lord if you would. I don't know that I would. I use that as an illustration to say, when he looked in there, he said, well, Lord, I ain't got much to give you, but what I got, you can have it. Well, how about you? You got health, don't you? You're able to play sports, you're able to walk, some of you can cook and some of you can still talk and you're pretty and you're nice looking and that kind of a deal and you got something to offer, don't you? You don't walk around the slobber. Well, what's your excuse? We're just talking about self-evaluation. You know what you're going to be compared to? You're going to be compared to a man like that. Now, he's not going to say, well, this, Herbie did this, did you do that? You know what he's going to do? Bring you up one at a time. You're going to see Herbie up there, stand up there and you're going to think, man... If he did all that in that kind of a body with that kind of a brain, what excuse do I have? Well, what excuse do you have? You're a good athlete? Jerry Daniels was Mr. America in 1965. You can look him up if you want to. That was my dad's training partner. He was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's still alive. He's an old, old man now. He's older than I am. 
Jerry Daniels, my dad led him to the Lord uh, after they had been training together for a little while, and he won Mr. America. I remember my dad having me go with him to the airport. In those days, the planes landed on the tarmac, propeller-driven planes, and he'd walk out. I remember him coming with that big old huge trophy. And I don't care what you think about bodybuilding. It took a whole lot of training and effort for him to be able to do that. He was a young man. He was in his 20s then. That thing was about that high. It was bigger than me. And you know what I remember about him more than the fact that he won that trophy and all the pictures and magazines and all the other kind of stuff? I can remember, I can't tell you how many times that guy standing uh, on the front stage at a gymnasium that was also used as an auditorium that had been refurbished by my dad and stuff, and he would stand up there and they'd bring in a whole bunch of weights and all that, and he'd do some bench presses and he'd tear some phone books in half and he'd do some other things like that, and then he would stand up there behind a pulpit and he would tell a group of kids bigger than this right here about how Jesus... Christ saved an old wretch like him then he would be absolutely nothing and don't be confused by all the things the Lord's blessed me with what he blessed me with was salvation I can't tell you how many times I've heard that man give his testimony you say what was he well he wasn't a preacher just an athlete he just somebody that had the discipline to be able to train himself physically but you know what he realized he realized man I wouldn't be any of those things if it wasn't for the Lord can you use what you have you know, the people that have a problem with people that do that are people that never were athletes themselves. Can you shoot a ball? Okay. Can you do it for the Lord? He said, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Are you good at it? Well, good. Use it. What's wrong with that? I'm not like a lot of these people that think when he says use it, it has to be on a platform with a shirt and tie on. Do you know something about fishing? Okay, good. Can you teach some young guys how to fish? You know something about cooking? Know something about sewing? Know something about how to take care of a house? Can you teach somebody? Every one of you, you ain't going to be no preacher, except unless you get married, then you get to be one at home every now and then. But other than that, you ain't going to be no preacher. So what, what hope do you have? There ain't but so many Sunday, in our churches, there ain't but so many Sunday school classes to teach. And every one of you can't sing like birds. I don't care what you think of yourself in the shower. You don't sound in the pulpit like you sound in the shower. You messing around with the modulator or something in there because you're thinking, babe, that really sounds good. And you get up, you sound like two styrofoam lids coming together. And we're glad to hear you sing. And it's really wonderful and stuff like that. But it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. And eventually you hear yourself and you're like, is that me? And you're like, yes. Well, I will never sing again. Okay. Can you memorize scripture? I'm just saying, can you do something? What, what are you doing? If all you have is your looks to depend on and you don't have the beauty on the inside, your looks aren't worth anything. It ain't worth two cents. I could take you to a place I used to ride and show you some beautiful girls down there walking 8th and Main Street and selling themselves and stuff like that that were uglier than a mud fence on the inside. Pretty on the outside. If all you got is looks, you ain't got nothing. You ain't got nothing. I've seen girls that are 10 times as ugly as you are that are pretty on the inside and they're so pretty on the inside they make you just blush with shame when you get around them. You say, why? They're prettier than you are. Looks ain't everything. I don't care what Facebook says. Amen. That's good preaching. You say, why? Well, everybody ain't pretty. You think, well, it's all about, you know, well, God gave it to you. All it takes is your head to go through a windshield. Now what? Your whole life's based on your looks. You're headed for trouble, aren't you? I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm just saying an evaluation. What are you resting on? You think you're always going to be 110 pounds? You wait till menopause comes. I guarantee you, man, you won't be going to see Twiggy for your, your outfit. You'll be going to see Omar the tent maker. You say, well, well, why is that? 
Coke bottle starts looking like a mayonnaise jar, man. That's just life. And you say, what is it? A menopause. You start looking like us fat old people. You start looking like a whiskey barrel with two pipe cleaners in it, you know. You, you try to hold it as long as you possibly can, but then it's gone. And if that's all you're dependent on, then you got to go see the doctor for more plastic and more Botox. And then after a while, there ain't enough plastic in the world to keep you looking like you think you want to look. There is nothing worse than seeing a 60 or 70 year old woman trying to look like a teenager. And they stopped the old woman one day out front and she's out there, you know, she's got bat wings and things like that. She's got crepe paper for skin and stuff. And they said, hey, you know, would we get you to pose in a bikini? Oh, sure, she said, absolutely, you know. And they took a picture of her and put her up on the billboard. And it's right up in the head of the gym right there. And the caption says, don't let this happen to you. Come work out. <laughs> She was a legend in her own mind. She thought, oh, yeah, boy, I'm at 70. I'm still, I still got it, baby. <laughs> yeah, if you're dependent on your looks, you ain't got it. The Bible says when a young man has strengths in his legs. I used to look at a 100-pound sack of fertilizer or a 100-pound sack of cement, put one on both shoulders. I've taken, I've taken uh, uh, two stacks of uh, shingles and put them on either shoulder and climb up a ladder to a two-story thing and fling them off up there and go back down and go back up and go back down and go back up. <laughs> now I'm looking for an elevator to get it up there. It's kind of like, <laughs> y'all going to call somebody to pick that up? Well, it ain't but 100 pounds, preacher. I know. Y'all got a forklift? <laughs> Preacher, you only got to carry it from here to the door. You got a wheelbarrow or a dolly or something? Used to go in Home Depot, man. You're walking around out, you know, you got all this stuff and you're carrying it to the thing. They're like, don't you need a cart? No, I got it. I'm good, you know. You, Five-gallon pails of all kind of stuff, you know, 40 pounds each and you're carrying them. You got stuff under your arms. And, and nowadays, as soon as you walk in, you know you've gotten old. When you walk in the door at Home Depot, the first thing you do is grab a cart. You say, what are you going through? I'm going to get me a bag of potato chips. You say, what happens? Something about strength goes. Is that what you're counting on? It'll go eventually. You wake up one day and the six-pack will be turned into a keg. You better listen to an old man. 22-inch arms will be down to looking like stinking threads hanging outside of a, a used coat somewhere. You say, what happened? That's called age. Is that what you're counting on? How about an evaluation this morning? What time is it? Getting time for lunch yet? What time? Okay, we got just a couple more minutes. Can we go one more? There has to be an estimation. There's going to be a cost associated. No man having uh, 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 gone out to build a building doesn't consider how much it's going to take for him to finish it. It's going to cost you something. Be a good place for me to ask you. You think you're willing to pay the price? I mean, do you want to pay the price? Let's say you want to be a preacher, you want to be a pastor. You ever sat down with a pastor and let him tell you, besides all the good things that go with it, the bad things that go with it? You think there's all the glitz and the glamour of standing in a pulpit with the lights on? Let me tell you something about spotlights. You better be careful about always grabbing the spotlight. You say, why? They make all the wrinkles show up. The cracks show up real good under a spotlight. You know what a good drywaller will do? He'll turn off all the lights and he'll take a spotlight and he'll put it at an angle on that light. You know what it'll do? It'll show every holiday in there. It'll show every bad spot in there. It shows the cracks up. You know what else? It's hot under a spotlight. There's a lot of heat that goes with it. You sure you want the spotlight? Sure you want your life to be made public about everything you do? All right, how about a second one? Are you ready to go eat?
All right. I'm not trying to go just like if you don't want it, this ain't force feeding. I'm not one of those guys. If it ain't helping, I can change the subject. I can tell you a story. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was whiter than snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. I was going to put dog in there this morning, but it didn't. Anyway. Tough one. I'm not talking about anorexia or bulimia. I'm not talking about finish a meal and go stick your fingers down your throat because you're worried about gaining an ounce. It's a very real thing going on. I'm not talking about all you see in the mirror is something fat all the time, so you gotta, I'm talking about an examination of yourself. Come to 2 Timothy chapter number two. You say, what are we talking about? The inward man. We're talking about going after treasure. You say, but preacher, this ain't making no sense about treasure at all. Well, it'll make sense by the time we get to the end of it. But you've got to get prepared. There's preparation that has to be made. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Look in verse number 19. Now some of you are going to need a hazmat suit when it comes to this. Whenever purging takes place. Have you ever seen somebody that's gotten really, really, really drunk, bad drunk? And then all of a sudden they get nauseated and they get, uh, you know, they get throwing up and spewing and throwing up their toenails and things like that. That's what this can be like for some of us. When you have to really get down deep inside and really look at yourself, that, in, that inner look is sometimes is not so pretty. That's where the real you is. Look, if you will, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. We're going to get to the foundation eventually. Having this, uh, uh, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His... And let everyone, watch it, nameth the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. Okay, I can handle that so far. In the great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge his neighbor, do you, are you looking at it? If a man therefore purge what? Himself, he shall be a vessel under honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. Sanctified is just set apart. It's just set apart to be used. He doesn't say so much about just the wooden and the earth vessels or the gold and the silver vessels. He said, unless the vessel's cleaned out, it's not any good. So you know what I have to be willing to do? I got to be willing to make room for the right kind of treasure in there. You say, why? Well, why would you wind up taking a really good, let's say a, a really good uh, 12-ounce ribeye steak or whatever and throw it in the garbage can and then eat it out of the garbage can? You say, well, preacher, I wouldn't do, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't do that. That's what happens sometimes spiritually. We think that even though on the inside we're like a garbage can, that the Lord ought to throw down all of his precious treasures and just mix and mingle them and let people eat out of a garbage can. No, if the heart's purged out, it winds up getting clean. Isaiah 57, to give you another look on that, but here's what you have to do. You've got to be willing to remove contamination. If the Bible's right, the Bible says what goes in your eye affects your heart. What goes in your ears affects your heart. What goes in any of your senses affects your heart. You know what you have to be willing to do? I've got to be willing to look at the contamination. Now there has to be some excavation. <laughs> that means you've got to dig deep. You say, why? You're preparing for a foundation. You ever look at and prepare for a foundation? You guys probably all been some, done some building before, right? You've at least been on a construction site, right? Yes, 
do y'all just spend all your time sitting in a bedroom playing games or something? Is, let me ask you a question. I'm being serious. I'm trying to learn something from you here. Is your idea is that you grow up, you stay locked in your house, and, and you work from home all the time? You, you get, what do, you, do you still sleep in footy pajamas? Like you can slide on the floor better when you get your hot cocoa with your marshmallows in the morning and you go ahead and get online and you know you, you, you put on a shirt and a tie on the top half and you still got on your boxers on the bottom half and it's kind of like, you know, yeah, I'm at the office. Is that, your, that, is that, is that where you are now? I mean, I'm trying to catch up. I'm, I'm getting old now. I'm not understanding your, your society. I ask you common questions like hunting, fishing, construction. Some of you look like a blinking frog in a hailstorm. I talk to you about a gym and about sweat and working out, and y'all are like, I mean, you spend all your time in the shower with foo-foo juice? Do you ever sweat? Have you ever had your nose busted? You ever fall down and break your crown? Forget them for a minute. You ever wrestle with somebody? Wrestle. I'm talking about the zip, the zam, the razzmatazz, the bionic elbow. I'm talking about off the ring ropes kind of stuff. You ever, you ever done that? I guess not. How many of you know how to change a tire? It's a good place to lie. <laughs> okay, just checking. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Have you been on a construction site? Okay, a few of you. If not, you need to go on a construction site. You know what they do before they concrete? They pour concrete, especially in Florida where I'm from. You say, well, they just pour the concrete and build the house. <laughs> Boy, are you headed for trouble. <laughs> sure, man, I'm going to give you 100K to build me a house. Sure, absolutely. No, you know what they have to do? They have to excavate the ground. And if the ground doesn't mess a certain PSI because it's sandy soil, they have to compact the soil before they ever pour the concrete. And guess what they have to put in the concrete based upon the concrete rating? They have to actually put in rebar. And if you're building something over a certain height, if it's going to be two stories, it changes the circumference of the rebar that they put in there and the length of it so that it winds up being able to support it. And a thing we have in Florida you don't have up here called hurricanes and guess what when you're having a hurricane it's not the time to go I wonder if we have rebar in the foundation babe I wonder you know if all of a sudden that winds blowing 110 miles an hour and literally it feels like there is someone out there with a fire hose just just poured it at your house and the rain is going sideways and you're thinking we should have evacuated too late now stuff's blowing off the house that ain't the time to go Wow, I wonder if they put in roof clips and a hurricane package up there. I thought it was crazy for them to build it by code. And now there goes the roof, babe. Tarp ain't going to cover that. What are you talking about? You got to do some excavation. That means you got to dig deep. You say, how deep do you have to go? Until you get all the roots and the grass and the debris out. Sometimes when you get around where we have these... Uh, things with big tap roots in them. Now some of the live oaks there, they run across the top of the ground. I think they're turkey oaks. My wife knows all about that. She was a stinking botanist and master gardener and master nutritioner and master of disguise. She's everything. But, but at any rate, she can tell you, but, but there's a certain one that runs out across the ground. You don't have to worry about them. You can almost knock them over. Matter of fact, ground gets real wet. We get about a 40 mile an hour wind. They blow over with no problem at all. But we have certain ones there that have these big tap roots. 
and they run down real deep. You know what's unusual is, is that if you decide that you're just going to go ahead and pour concrete over that, even if you've dug it and you haven't excavated that, you know what you find out? You find out that when that root finally rots, it leaves a big hole or a cavern underneath the concrete, and guess what happens to the concrete? It goes with gravity, it falls, and then guess what? Anything that's resting on the concrete falls with it. So you tell me, is the importance of concrete or the excavation? You got to make sure you dig deep enough to get everything out. That's why he says in the book of Hebrews, he says the root of bitterness needs to be dug out. You say, why? Lest it come up, spring forth, and do what? Defile many. See what happens if you don't dig down deep enough to get it out? No matter how good the building looks on top, sooner or later, guess what happens? It rots. Guess where it rots? Under the ground. You can't even see it. It's not affected by the wind and the rain. It's just down there rotten. It's just decaying. It's a slow process. It takes a long time. And the top of the tree is gone. You can't tell the concrete's there. The house might have been sitting there for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, one day, it has finally decayed completely. And now there's this cavern up underneath it. And that cavern has now caused that concrete to be compromised. And no matter how high or how strong that building might be, do you know what winds up happening? The wall sags. And then the corner of the building sags. And the next thing you know, the roof bows. And no matter how straight the trusses were, they begin to sag. And then before long, you got a problem. And then they come in there and say, oh, well, we can jack it up again. But the problem is, if we don't pump concrete underneath there to fill the hole where the root was, we got a problem. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning here. Just a couple things to think about. Would you be willing to do some excavation between now and tonight? You say, what do you have to do? You have to get all that stuff under there and you have to take it out. We have a soil down home. It's like a subsoil down there. And I call it quicksand. It's not quicksand, but it's weird stuff. It's like a, 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 a muck and a clay mixed together. You can't ever dry it out. It never seems to get hard. It's like it has oil in it or something. And, and, there's only, and it's only a small layer. But you know what they know? They know if they don't dig that out, then eventually, because that thing is constantly shifting, it's like putty. It's just... It's just it's muck is what it is, and it really stinks. But it's only about yay thick. But if you don't get that out of there, you know what happens? You don't have a solid foundation. So it depends upon the amount of pressure that's on it. You actually will have a foundation that'll look like this when you're done. And now guess what? When you get ready to smooth out the floor and everything, you got all these dips and stuff in it. You know what you realize? It isn't going to be long before that's going to change again. And now you're going to have cracked in the foundation. God help you if you put tile on it. Because you put that tile floor down and you're thinking, man, this really looks good. And then all of a sudden you walk in there one day and, honey, did you drop something on the floor? No? Well, where'd the crack come from? Must have been something wrong before you poured the foundation. See, we're not even to the foundation yet. Requires an elimination if you're willing to go through the excavation process. Before we get ready to pour concrete tonight, would you maybe consider digging down deep and say, Lord, you don't have to wait for a night service. You can do it after lunch. You can work on it while you're playing volleyball or basketball or baseball or catching a fish or jumping in the pond or whatever it is y'all are going to be doing all day. But if you know what, if you let the Lord work on you, he'd be surprised how quick he'll bring those things to the surface and say, okay, here you go. You want to do something with that? I told you it's individual. Everybody in here is not going to do it. 
I'm not making light of them. I'm just saying everybody in here don't want to do it. They're just like, I don't care about all that. I'm good. I didn't come here for that. Okay, fine. You have to decide whether or not you want to do that. And if you want to do that, you know what you have to be able to do? Present yourself and purge yourself. That's the first two steps. Now, in that last step, here's what's required. You can't dig those roots out by hand back home. You've got to have a machine. It requires something with extra power to be able to dig it out. She well, I could do it if I... Okay, well, it's going to take you a long time to get it done. Would you just maybe listen to the illustration? You can't get rid of it by yourself. When you find that in there, whether it's a root or whether it's that old mucky soil that needs to get out, you know what you need? You need an excavator to help you. You need to say, Lord, can you help me dig this out? I need you to help me. Can you bring in the backhoe? Man, there's nothing better when you've been down there and you're sweating down and your socks are full of sweat and your shoes are full of water and you're down there in that 95 and 100 degree heat and you've got a root down there so big around you couldn't get it around and you've tried to dig it out and move it out and you put a chain on it and you've tried to pull the thing out and done this and that and the other and then all of a sudden you see that big low boy pull up and they got this big old thing that looked like a dinosaur with a big arm on the end of it, big old backhoe, and the tracks begin to come off of that thing, and you hear it clattering coming off of that thing, and then down the little uh, 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 ramp it comes, and then he works the thing over there to you. And with just a couple of times, he gets in there and gets him a grip, and gets in there and gets him a grip, and he gets in there and gets him a grip, and he says, all right. And then he starts pulling, and you can hear that thing begin to pop and pull, and the steel begin to strain, and it begins to pull, and you keep the hydraulics are getting tighter, and then all of a sudden, you know what you see? That boy, that thing comes popping out, and then he grabs it up like a little paw, like this. Like he says, "Where you want it, boss?" I said, "Man, put it on the burn pile. I don't want to keep that as a souvenir." And you say, "What happens?" And he takes him some fresh dirt and fills that big old hole he takes the back end of that backhoe and he packs it down puts it back on and the low boy's gone you're ready to pour concrete but you'd have never got it out without help now listen to me youngins you got some stuff in there that you ain't going to get out without help and the Lord is the best backhoe driver you've ever seen but it's strange about him He's always on standby, but if you don't ask him to come help you, he won't show up on the job site. But you get down there and you realize I've done all I can do and say, Lord, I need a backhoe. You said, you talk to him like that? That's how I talk to him. I figure he's a contractor, he's a carpenter. He must know what he's doing, right? Say, Lord, I, I need a backhoe. I got something dug way down deep. You think you got an arm long enough? I don't need a little track hoe, Lord. I need a backhoe. I got an arm long enough. You got a bucket big enough? I got a bucket big enough. You sure enough hydraulics in that thing to be able to pull it? A, it's, a, it's a big one, Lord. Yeah, I, I can get it out. You want me to show up? Yes, sir, would you come get it? You know what he'll do for you this week? He'll pull it up. Then you know what he's going to say? What you want me to do with it? You know what I'm going to tell you the best thing to do with it? Put it on the burn pile. And then we'll get to filling in the hole. Father, bless your word this morning. Thank you for these youngins being here. Thank you, Lord, for their attention and for them paying attention, especially after being up half the night and playing and having a good time. I pray that you'll protect them and care for them and watch over them while we're here this week. And would you help us all, Lord, during this time, this series about getting treasure and something that would be pleasing to you. Would you please help us all, Lord, to, uh, to get these things straight in our life so that we might leave here better than we came. 
We ask now that you might also bless the lunch and the ladies that have prepared it. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There you go.